Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I'm joined by Andy Germuga. Number one calling TV shows movies, Stan Cullen Ashley. Emilio Diaz. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Mr. Lynch, it's an honor. (laughs) He just said his name was Emilio Diaz. Can you not listen? Can you not hear the voice? I mean, saying that his name is Emilio Diaz is exactly what David Lynch would do. Is it? He's he's like sitting on the side of the road with a cow, basically. It's that same style. I love Pinewood. (laughs) (laughs) And today we are joined... (laughs) What? No, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, you can't interrupt me this episode, or it's just I'm just going to be absolutely drawn to a halt. Um, uh, this episode, we're joined by the co-host of the Not New Movie Review and an all-around handsome guy, Jeremy Wainwright. Woo! Thank you for having me. Please. Yes, we're thank you for thrilled. joining us. I'm honored to bring my handsomeness and love of Twin Peaks to your wonderful podcast. And of course, this is a a bit of a crossover event because I believe that uh, you guys are about to start covering Matthew Lillard, who is, of course, the star of uh, (laughs) what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about the parts of Twin Peaks that have premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, which is... Firewalk with me in 1992, and then the first two episodes of The Return in 2017, uh, which are probably Matthew Lillard's most substantial episodes, except for like episode nine or whichever one his head gets blown up in. Oh, yeah. Spoilers. Spoilers. I think we're going to spoil Twin Peaks. I mean, Amelia has seen all of Twin Peaks. (laughs) That's true. I forgot. (laughs) But you haven't? No, he has not finished. Oh, my God. Yes, it's it's all good. I've I've only seen these two episodes. It's a valuable perspective (laughs) to bring to the table, I would say. Have you you seen the first two seasons? Yes. No, I mean, I've seen the first. I've seen. Well, okay. So I believe a lot of us have, like, different. Like, like, everyone's ways. got a different Twin Peaks approach. Yeah, I've watched the first season. I've watched the first ten episodes of the second season. I've watched the finale of the second season. I've watched Firewalk with me, and I've watched the first two episodes of The Return. I did uh, up through The Return. I did exactly, basically, exactly what Emilio did with the addition of having read uh, uh, recaps from some website for the intermediary episodes between uh, 9 or 10, wherever I stopped in the finale. You guys took the coward's route through season 2, I see. <laughs> well, I did specifically do so uh, because I was preparing to go see Firewalk with me uh, in a theater. I think they were showing it like a couple weeks before the return started. 
Yeah, I basically just want a, a similar thing, but it's a, I bought the Criterion. Where it's like, I just wanted to see Firewalk with me, and I wanted to watch as much as was required <laughs> for Firewalk with me. To do you didn't get to see James's adventures on his motorcycle. Oh my god! Truly adds to the experience. Yes, that's the, the best plotline. Yes, him. I mean, James was always cool. We don't need that's to say true. it. Just well, for us. <laughs> wow. Sure. I get. I, if we're all sharing our Twin Peaks experiences, I uh, watched at some point. I think around when the return was announced, as like when they did that tweet that was like that that pile that the that pile like is coming back in style or whatever the tweet oh, was that Mark Frost and, like. gum, yeah. a gum. That's right. That's what it is. Uh, that that Lynch and uh, Frost tweeted at the, simultaneously to announce that they were gonna come back. I like watched a bunch of it at that point. I think I got maybe two or three episodes in the season two before I stalled out. And then as it was approaching premiere, I picked it back up um, and watched through and then like got Firewalk with me from the library and stuff and watched that in that package in the run up. I also, I think before the, before the premiere of the return, I read the secret history of Twin Peaks, the Mark Frost book that is like official like canon. Mm. And um, I have also read the final dossier, which was the book that came out after the return. I own the secret history. I own the diary of Laura Palmer, but I have not read that. So that is my Twin Peaks universe. Yeah, I, I did book. also, I also watched the original series over a very long period of time. Yeah. I think I probably, I, I think I started watching it even before the return was announced and like would watch a few episodes every year for a while. See, in like 2014, I binged the first two seasons like within a summer and then it was great. Like the week I finished season two, they tweeted that it was coming back. And I was mm-hmm. like, look what I did. Yeah. I summoned it. <laughs> they were waiting for me to finally watch it. Yes. Yeah. Call, call I did it. a somewhat of a combo between Andy and Jesse, but I have seen it all. Uh, and uh, it's great. Solidarity. Season two, I, like, I'll defend it. I think it's fine and fun. I, there's definitely good stuff, I think, in almost every episode. Um, there, it, It's, you know. I mean, yeah. Although, I mean, my controversial thing is that I like the ten episodes I watched in season two. I enjoyed more oh, than season one. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think like just as this group of uh, like Twin Peaks, my rankings would be like a tie between Firewalk with Me and The Return, and then the original series under. I think like f- uh, the the original series like it definitely definitely is like a different vibe, and Firewalk with Me and. Uh, the return are much more similar in their tone mm-hmm. than like there's no like or not no but it's not a lot of like kitschiness which is like great and like but i know like a lot of people that were disappointed with the return because they were expecting more like the melodrama funny stuff and, like, yeah yeah more explicitly funny stuff even though like there is great there's a lot of that. the return yeah but there's yeah in the return there's like they don't show the soap opera ever again like all that sort of stuff that's like fun on the margins yeah. Um, I mean, I forget who's what's Michael Sarah's character's name again. Marley Brand. Wally Brando. Wally Brando. Brando. I mean, I mean, let's yeah. look at that. That's all you need. Yeah, great yeah. character, great bit. But unfortunately, and <laughs> outside our three, purview for today. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, so um, so uh, we can't discuss he's, he's how he's bad. Um, even in the first two episodes, there's good bits. Like, yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like the, uh, do we want to? I mean, do we so, just? <laughs> 
Yeah, I guess I mean, we should we should we should start we should maybe add a little more structure to this conversation. So I mean, we are talking grab bag this. We are going to attempt to talk about these sort of in within context of like them being shown at the Cannes Film Festival with their reactions to it with like what we think of it, why it what it how it sort of speaks to like the twenty years of like Lynch's career and like the way that sort of fandom has evolved and like the incredibly differing responses that these two things have got. So we maybe might want to give context before what happened with Fire Walk with me. Oh, oh, okay. So uh, we were saying before the recording that the, the story is that fire walk with me was booed it can that's maybe apocryphal and maybe people were more into it what i can say because i've seen it happen is that two years before fire walk with me uh wild at heart won the palm d'or and that announcement was very much met with booze oh interesting um. I, I don't um, know if the film was booed, but when it won the Palm d'Or. Yeah, I, I was looking up some articles like before, yeah, and it was, that is like the general consensus is that like Wild at Heart winning was a controversial pick. Yes, people were upset by it. Right, which Wild at Heart is, I would say, my it's the Lynch project that I've responded to the most. Though it's now been like five years since I've seen it, so what? Uh, and what also, year I did. It's nineteen ninety. Yeah. Okay. So it was like during It's the same year as season one of Twin Peaks. Yeah, Twin Peaks. So it's right. like um, so it is him at a relative high. Yeah. So yeah, and yeah, so I guess yeah. Twin Peaks season one, like Bafo ratings, like it oh, was God, like yeah. it was mm-hmm. so huge. It was a cultural phenomenon. Everyone wanted to know who killed Laura Palmer. Um and then, you know, the 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 lore of there's like the myth of Twin Peaks is that like then like Lynch uh, and and Frost, I think both just wanted to sort of like not ever s- address the "Who Killed Laura Palmer" question dead on. But then the ratings were starting to fall, and so ABC forced them to. And then uh, that d- went. W- they did that, and then they that didn't help the ratings. And like by the end of the run, ABC was like burning it off on Saturday nights. So, like, it goes from, like, genuine, like, cultural phenomenon, huge hit that is airing on broadcast television that is, like, this, like, probably the first time, like, a real, like, film auteur has, like, a major, like, uh, plan for a long run sort of series in that way. Um, And then it sort of, by the time it is canceled, it is not many people are into it anymore. Um, So that, I think, is combined with, like, wild at heart being in that time of the first season where like Lynch mm-hmm. is like get prop, hit, reaching his biggest like level of name, name recognition almost certainly uh, among like common people. Uh, and, mm-hmm. um, and when he is, uh, I mean, the- I'm under the impression that blue velvet was like a pretty big thing. Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was yeah, like, blue obviously- always on like, yeah, it's like he's not, he wasn't nobody for sure. He blew Bell, but was right. a thing. Elephant Man got Oscar nominations. It's like he, mm-hmm. he wasn't like a relative unknown who came into right. But right. certainly Twin Peaks made David Lynch like in the most like common way to think of it, like a household name. He was right. being watched yeah. under it. And, that, yeah. and I imagine like 
the the fallout from both Wild at Heart being a sort of controversial, difficult movie at Cannes, like dovetailing with the implosion of Twin Peaks as a cultural phenomenon and as a thing that people love, probably right. primed Firewalk with me to have the reaction it did at Cannes when it did. Oh, right. Yeah. And also, like Twin Peaks season two ends on like an enormous cliffhanger. Oh, and God. everyone's like, oh my God, like what is what was going to happen next? And then David Lynch goes off and makes this movie. The movie does not really have involvement from Mark Frost, who is like his equal collaborator in every, almost every other realm of Twin Peaks. Uh, and uh, the movie does not really address the cliffhanger in any way, shape or form. No. And so you have an audience that was primed for like, well, I ha- what's going to happen? And like David Lynch is not interested in answering that question. Is like is maybe not a surprising fact of him. <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, it was not. I think it was very much not what Twin Peaks fans were necessarily mm-hmm. looking for in that yeah. moment. Uh, uh, yeah. When I first watched Firewalk with me, I I didn't know anything about it other than it was the movie that came after, and I expected a sequel to like right. the series. And I remember like within the first scene, I'm like, oh. He's, he's just kind of doing what he wants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was watching it the other day, like rewatching it for the purposes of this. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, why do people do this? And then I was like, I can't imagine <laughs> like not seeing the show. And like the first thing you see is like the lady in the dress, like doing the hand signals. Lil. I was Cousin like, Lil. No, I mean, yeah, I just was like, I can imagine this being the most like off putting thing for like just someone who's like, Oh, I guess I'll see a movie or like some, you know, like, French cad who's at the theater <laughs> during the break. <laughs> can yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So, 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 Firewalk Me. It it is generally not well. Before we get into yeah. Firewalk with me more, actually, I would like to. G- I have a little more on Wild at Heart, which is like sure, looking at this can competition. There's no like other winner that's like oh, I'll bet people would have been happy if that was one. I mean, like, there's a. An early Zhang Yimou movie. There's one of uh, Jean-Luc Godard's... Uh, I think Nouvelle Vague is an essay film. No, maybe not. It looks like it has a plot. But anyway, uh, it's a mid to late period Godard. So that that wasn't going to win. Uh, uh, and then it's like... Uh, uh, a Cyrano de Bergerac movie with Jean, with Gerard Depardieu, the uh, requisite Ken Loach movie, uh, a Clint Eastwood <laughs> Give movie. Give us a name. No and let's see if it's fake or not. <laughs> uh, it's um, we definitely you definitely did this one uh, a couple of weeks ago, Colin. Uh, is it called uh, Is Hidden Agenda a real or fake Ken Loach movie? But yeah, I mean, you know, hit it in It's a real okay. one. <laughs> Great, it's real. Yes, that's yes, correct. So. Interestingly, Sorry, the uh, I was I was thinking, uh, especially while watching the first two episodes of uh, of the return, because I just finished watching Lost. I was thinking about how Lost takes from twin peaks certainly but then there are also kind of some lost vibes in the return uh interestingly that uh clint eastwood movie co-stars uh jeff fahey uh portrayer of frank lapidus right who i did not know was uh doing clint eastwood movies in 1990 sure white hunter black heart 
if anyone wants to check that one out. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's like you you look at the lineup and you're like pretty easy to see how Wild at Heart like stands who, out. Right. Who was the jury that awarded it was, Wild? At uh, Bernardo Bertolucci was the uh, the president of the jury. Uh, you've got Alexi German, uh, director of. Uh, Hard to be a god. I think his big movie then would have been Krustalia uh, of My Car, uh, Mira Nair, mm-hmm. Angelica Houston. Those oh. are kind of the big names. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so you have that. You have the series run of Twin Peaks, which David Lynch, by all accounts, is like increasingly checked out of until the finale of season two although i think his like biggest like the most he appears as an actor is in like the the stretch where he is like not as involved in like the writing and directing of it which is interesting he Um, probably has fun with that like getting to show up and just like scream with a hearing yeah well and this (laughs) is like and by all accounts he like loves the world of twin peaks and he like loves the like all the like little characters and i think he really loves like spending time with all the characters um i i in addition to watching Firewalk with me, I also watched The Missing Pieces, uh, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, the the movie Firewalk with me, which I think we're about to dive into, like talking about like the actual content of the movie instead of the context surrounding it. That movie is like very tightly focused on Laura Palmer, and uh, except for like the like the prologue section that is um, Chris Isaac and Kiefer Sutherland uh, investigating, right. um, and like a little bit in the FBI. Uh, famously Kyle MacLachlan like didn't want to appear that much in the movie and so like Lynch had to like negotiate like how much and so that's why he's not really in that much of it um because he didn't want to get like typecast as uh as Cooper um and so but yeah but David then... in the Criterion booklet I'm looking for the quote uh Lynch yeah. talks about this he basically he says that like 75% of the cast was really excited to do a movie and right. then 25% was not into not it sure. and yeah. he, he sounds very disappointed about that. Right. And that's like also like why you get the recasting uh of um Lawyer Kelly for yes. um why am I blanking on Lara Flynn Boyle. Lara Flynn Boyle, right. Yes. Um, then uh, just does it, that, right. that character is just cut out of the return. Right, yeah. it's not in the return at all. And you, I think you can get a little bit of like what happened to her, which is like she moved to New York and became a model in one of the Frost books. Um, okay. sure. uh, but, uh, but in The Missing Pieces, like because the movie is like so tightly focused on Lara Palmer and, and then like basically the 48 hours before her death, uh, maybe even I less, think, maybe I 24 hours. Just- I think it actually described the seven days. Yeah, it's supposed before. to be the week. Yeah. That's right, the week. Okay, um, that you don't get a lot of like big Ed. Like there's like all these other characters who Lynch like had them come back and film little bits with them that you can now watch in the missing pieces. Right, um, I've seen them. I watched the missing pieces after the first time I walk. I, I watched Firewalk with me. Are they like the the like pieces with characters who got cut out? Are they like related to the the main thrust of plot or did they just cut get cut out because they were easy to be cut out i think that yeah they're they're mostly fairly easy to cut out you know Mm -hmm. it's it's a that stuff i think is a little more hamstrung by it being a prequel so you can't really do much interesting with their characters Uh right right, Um, right. so you have to like go back to like where they were pre the pilot 
Um, so you, it's just sort of like spending a little time with like Big Ed or whatever, or spending a little okay. time in the Double R Diner, which like is a lot of the stuff that I really love. I really love the missing pieces and just mm-hmm. love the vibe of like hanging out with many of these like fun, quirky characters. But like you totally understand why it had to be cut out from the movie so that it was then my memory is that there is then also stuff in the missing pieces that like feels very vital to the return uh yeah i mean you get like he does there is like an epilogue that is like more much more directly connected to the way that season two of the twin peaks ends where you get like it like goes like two minutes longer into that scene where cooper like hits his head on the glass and you get a little bit of annie waking up in the hospital uh and like delivering her message of like whatever um of write this down in your diary laura um that agent cooper's in the lodge um and I think there's like a little more stuff with like the ring and all, and all that sort of thing. Like a lot of the like red room mythology elements, I think mm-hmm. you get like a little more uh, exploration with, which I think they really do go all in on in the return in a way that's mm-hmm. really exciting. Although maybe yes. not particularly in these two episodes, I guess a little bit in the beginning of the two episodes. Yeah. Um, is, is there anything uh, about Josie Packard becoming a doorknob? There is not anything about Josie Packer becoming a daughter. She is, I believe, one of the ones who was, like, not interested in coming back for the movie. Uh, Which, I mean, can't really uh, blame her, considering the way that the show treated her. Um, But yeah, so, 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 like, there, so this, the movie, I think, is, let's talk about, like, the actual content of the movie, because I know, like, you guys, especially, I think, have a lot of positive feelings about that movie yeah so and we're, I, we're going to talk we're, we're now going to talk about the greatest horror movie of all time sh- sure um yeah what, what do you have to say about it jesse other than that it is the greatest horror movie of all time expand I mean, on that's that basically it I, i'm so tired great <laughs> <laughs> thank you it's definitely uh extremely scary and yes. extremely sad uh-huh yeah i mean like it, I think the success of it, it's like it's interesting to think about it having the missing pieces because I think if anything leads to like the eventual like critical reevaluation and success of the movie is that it very much hits that one mood very successfully and it very much captures this one like thing of like the sort of sadness that exists and it's living in a situation that has its sort of inevitable ending, but like both within like the sort of context of what happens within the TV show, its relationship to it, and also just, like, how you may be able to apply what happens in a David Lynch movie to, like, your real life, which is, like, obviously, mileage may vary, but there, I think there are important, like, connections to the way, like, sort of physical and psychological abuse factors into the movie, and it's just so sad, and it, like, Mm -hmm. and it can, and it, like, other movies would wallow in their misery, but I, but I think it manages to like be extremely empathetic and like do the thing that David Lynch does the best is like use his sort of like I don't want to say weirdness because that's such an easy word to use with him, but let's say like his non-standard forms of storytelling to like communicate something emotionally that's if communicated directly would just seem like very pat and boring. And just like the way that like the like the painting in her wall and just like the stuff mm-hmm. that just like the unne the uneasiness of living 
in a situation that you could theoretically escape, but you just can't. Right. And the sort of analog to like depression and abuse and those sorts of things. I think it's a great performance by Cheryl Lee. I think it's a, oh. we were talking slightly before we started recording that it's an amazing Ray Wise performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the stuff pre, I guess the like, the Laura Palmer stuff is just like cool, weird stuff. I like looking at it. I don't, as a person who has not watched all of The Return or not watched a lot of season two, I, I don't have a lot of thoughts on how that stuff plays out. I think Keeper yeah. Sutherland like... and David Bowie are handsome looking dudes and I like oh, yeah. to see yeah. them wearing that clothes. That is yeah, I like, I like Chris Isaac and Kiefer Sutherland are pretty fun in it. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, Chris uh, Isaac. I was disappointed, is, especially that Kiefer Sutherland didn't come right. back for the return, considering he's just, yeah. like, around. Right, uh, yeah. Chris Isaac, I mean, is obviously a more limited actor, but uh, mm-hmm. he, he's a lot of fun. I, I am probably in the minority. That section is the section that I respond to a little more. Like, I think, like, a lot of, like, it introduces a lot of stuff that is, like, pretty important to the Twin Peaks mythology. Like, that is the first time they mention, like, Blue Rose stuff, Mm -hmm. which comes, like, is a big part of the return and is a big part of the mythology as a whole. Um, Mm -hmm. The, the, I think all the trailer park stuff is really good. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's the part of the movie that I am, like, this is, like, really cool and, like, this feels like new ground that we're breaking in the Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, I mean, I I think I've said before, I think Firewalk will be one of my 10 favorite movies of all time. So I do really like it. It's just one of the things where I have no take on it. I just think it's cool. Sure. I just have. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's one of those things where it's, it definitely goes into a category of movie that I love, but like, I just find it so emotionally draining to watch because, like, you know, like Amelia said, like, it's full of empathy for the character of Laura Palmer and just like, I feel like the town of Twin Peaks is a whole. Like, the whole idea of, like, this idyllic setting that's, like, forced to suffer through these, like, constant horrors. But, like, just, like, the content, like, alone of it finds, like, it's not a movie I revisit a lot. But, like, I'm always happy when I do because it's just so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, I hadn't watched it um, since I watched it before The Return came out. And I think uh, we were talking a little bit about this the other day uh, that I had watched... Um, like on the same day I watched the finale of season two firewalk with me for the first time. And then I think the first four parts of the return as that's how they aired them on that, that first night. Uh, mm-hmm. So like I, when I rewatched it the other day, I forgot that Dean Stanton was in it and yeah. I was like, Oh, that's right. Cause he's also in the return. And I was like, right, yeah, I, I can't believe yeah, I didn't he's remember the this. one new firewalk with me character that carries over to the return. Right. Yeah, I think I believe at least the main one. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a bit of like, uh, you know, Jeffries and um. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. he's the one yeah. actor, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was like I think when I watched it right after Twin Peaks, like whatever credence it is to say that, like on Letterbox, I think I had it at like a four out of five, um, and then it's like a full like five out of five. I think like basically perfect movie yes uh, i i and, just uh 30 seconds ago changed it from four and a half to five yeah like like amelia was saying like Cheryl Lee's performance i think is incredible mm-hmm. um she has to do like so much in terms of just the different moods that she plays and i don't think she misses like a note at all and it's yep. something that is so crazy to think like she's only in like twin peaks uh like a few other lynch projects 
maybe only one other Lynch project, and then like basically nothing else. And she's one of the best actors I've ever seen in anything. It's just she's so good. I mean, yeah, and um, it's like an amazing, it's an amazing performance, especially considering what is being asked of her, which is like considering like the way that Lynch works and the way that the scenes play out. It's just like she, it's like a bit of modulation off here and there and she would seem like an insane person and it would be very off and she would seem like i it's, it's like i i'm sure if you took scenes from this movie and just played them she would seem terrible but it works as a cohesive whole because mm-hmm. it's like you it's it communicates the struggle within her very intelligently another thing about i think about firewalk with me often is that it's maybe the, I guess I haven't watched the return, so this might be, but I think he probably gets into the, just by vaguely knowing what happens in the rest of the return, it's not, not like I'm completely in the blank about the rest of the return. He probably also gets to the, he also gets to this and probably talk about, but so, Firewalk with me is sort of the purest installation of what I think he's getting at in a lot of movies and in Twin Peaks, which is like, he obviously gets a lot of credit for like this kitschy Americana shit where it's like, like pine trees and like old like and pie people, diners and coffee and donuts yeah, and, yeah. And, donuts. yeah and all like it, all the like between that and like Mulholland with Hollywood and like Blue Velvet was also small town Americana of just like how all that shit is propped up but just like the darkest shit possible that people have to hide from each other and how young people tend to suffer at the like causes of that and how like there is just like a darkness to America that mm-hmm. it's 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 like so inherent that it's like hard to communicate and like they're like barely understand it and it's and I think and as I said I think it's purest desolation of like that sort of feeling of just like yeah uh, she looks like the perfect high school student she lives in a two story house in the suburbs it's so nice and there's like a bar in town and all that shit just has like the seediest underbelly possible and mm-hmm. we don't talk about it because it's inconvenient to talk about and there's like social norms and different stuff that we don't want to get into and it and it just like leads to more of her suffering right like, and it's about it, I, it's about uh cycles of abuse too and that uh, i'm remembering right that in the original series it's implied that Leland Palmer was also abused as a child, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah I yeah, mean that it's... that I think that plays into the Ray Wise performance in the movie and is yeah. Really and it's upsetting. interesting, like in like just my memory of watching the original series, like until it's revealed that Ray Wise like is the is murderer not, of yeah, right. yeah, like that he doesn't ever feel like the villain. He just feels like the crazed, like he just feels like someone who's gone like insane. I mean, he's like, yeah, right. Dies. He's like losing his mind because his daughter has died. Is like what right. you were and then uh-huh. the like recontextualization of it after watching the movie. It's like, oh no, he was like an abusive person like mm-hmm. before all this. Like, I mean, and there's like obviously the implication of like what bob does when he is like inhabiting somebody but mm-hmm. just in like the scene where he's like you didn't wash your hands and like even before that just like the way he like right. comes out of her bedroom or comes out of the house and she's like hiding in the bushes he's just this menacing presence mm-hmm. and like when it starts to sh- sort of show like him in the car like freaking out 
Um, and then like him at the hotel with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Pulaski or whatever that he's just like, Oh, it's like someone who is completely broken. But like those scenes, the scene, the washing your hands scene, like surely, like we're saying, like it maybe could in isolation feel maybe like too arch or like pitched up, but mm-hmm. it is such a like needle threading of just because it is such an intense situation, like there or when she's like, uh, you know, at the bar, like, um, when they're like dancing with Renault and all those people, it's like none of it feels out of place just because everything in the world like can be something else. Like it's just, you know, the suburban thing, like Emilio was saying with the city underbelly, it's like, Oh, well that's there. Then like, of course this person would be like freaking out. And then like just giving in to the whim of like these abusive people. Yeah. Like, I mean, more kind of like what Amelia was saying, like I think twin peaks and Firewalk with me, especially and the return. It's like, David Lynch, like, I think, like, all of his movies, except for maybe, like, Dune, just because Dune takes place in space. Even then, I've never seen Dune, but, like, he's so great at taking these things that, like, we see as, like, everyday, wholesome, like, things all around you. Like, we talk about small-town Americana, you know, like, the high school, like, homecoming queen, and, like, I don't know, like, kind of, like, digging up, like, the dirt underneath to show, like, hey, this thing that you see is idyllic and perfect, you know? probably isn't most of the time or at least there's something like further beneath it that you're not seeing and just right and then with with uh Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire he does kind of the same thing with Hollywood even though that's maybe more obviously not idyllic oh yeah. yeah yeah and then the straight story is more like on the level just with like mm-hmm. family sort of disputes rather than Brug rings like <laughs> within the small town community. Yeah, God, I love that movie. Yeah, I mean, if if particularly the run of like Blue Velvet to like the post doing run of like Blue Velvet to Twin Peaks to Wild at Heart to Fire Walk with Me is a very interesting like collection of his work about like that sort of thing about like young yeah. people trying like breaking like falling into like the disgusting underbelly of Americana and like finding some good things in it and finding some horrible things in it and just like the way that they're treated and it's and I think it, it's like a thing I've struggled with in his work and that like sometimes mm-hmm. his work just seems of like well like e- evil the evilness of America of America is just like space withers or whatever the shit it's just like yeah. a thing that it, an evil that exists on like some spiritual level that we can't connect with which is uh, which is a thing that sometimes I'm like eh, it's not it's like <laughs> right. there are definitely like direct connections but the, I think he does get to like an emotional reality of those sorts of things and the way that things get propped up just because they look nice and they look proper and even though like whatever is existing under it is absolutely not yeah um I guess I, so I do want, want to just voice a little bit of like mild reservations about some of the things that we've been, been going on about. Like, I really like Twin Peaks. I, re- I like Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. I, the, my sort of ranking, it went from like a 3.5 stars from like watching it in the context of the run up to like a four stars for me. I am like a little more skeptical. I think of, I think the, um, the, I think the way that Lynch like depicts like the luridness of like sexual violence, 
I think I f- don't quite get if if he is entirely like on the level there with that sort of stuff. Like the sequence that we were talking a little bit about with her in the club where it's like mm-hmm. all subtitles and stuff. Like yes. the way that he films like the nudity and all that stuff in there, it re- like I don't quite get a hundred percent that he is like not enjoying that like that in a in a in a in a in a bad way that I that I don't want him to Yeah, I think you are probably I think you are very much not off base there. I was reading uh uh Mike D'Angelo's uh letterboxd review of Firewalk with Me, which is fairly negative and his big thing is that he recalls an anecdote that uh that Laura Herring uh had said mm-hmm. uh wh- about when uh Mulholland Drive was making the transition from uh uh being a, a television show to a movie which is that what David Lynch said to her was it's going to be a movie and there's going to be nudity and he said oh, yeah. that oh, in the context of uh Mulholland Drive that he's more willing to kind of stand up for that but that Firewalk with me is where that feels more kind of gross which is easy to understand yeah yeah I won't push back against you feeling that it like feeling gross about it but I might say that I don't think Lynch is doing it out of anything other than like service of the story. I don't think he's like, oh man, I'm gonna get these actresses to get their clothes off. Like I think he's like, this is what the story is. This is like what the place See, of this seedy like area I, is. Like this is what would happen. Like I don't I struggle think he, a little bit with I mean, that like, just because like he all, like a lot of this material is also covered in the show Twin Peaks without those elements. And I feel well, yeah, like but the I mean, show Twin like, Peaks does it just as effectively as the movie. Would you, do you have an so. objection to like the language also <laughs> or like the violence? Well, I don't feel like he's like as like like I don't feel like that there is an enjoyment in that stuff and like a like a like he's not getting a thrill out of that much out of that stuff as much as he is out of a thrill out of like being able to shoot the like the nudity stuff that that that, it just it just it it irks me a little bit like i don't think it's like entirely ill-intentioned i think like Mm -hmm. i think i do think it is like he is he is clearly trying to show like a system that includes like a lot of like sexual exploitation and all that stuff and like like it's there like you can find the the like the the good reads in it like very easily and i think they're all intended to be there but i do think that there's like a little bit of stuff that just that irks me a little bit i think it irks is like the sure. right word where i'm like i don't know if you're entirely 100 percent on the level here and i'm not sure i can yeah. be fully on board with like the way you're telling this story yeah i guess yeah. my the the extent to which i would disagree is just that my preference generally is to not try and ascribe intention to directors and just that regardless of, so to that it, it, with that regardless of what his intention was or uh, how he was going about it I think it is effectively very upsetting in a way that yeah, I mean, works I, I, I don't know like I haven't seen The Elephant Man or like Eraserhead uh, but like aside from the straight story, all of his movies are like 
violent and like sexual and like mm-hmm. graphic language obviously like i think he's just a guy who likes to work in that space like i think he likes to sort of it's part of the subversion of like the americana is like blue velvet is like you know uh nuclear family like looking 50s like pastiche but then you have like dennis hopper like screaming i'll fuck anything that moves like throughout the entire movie or whatever like it's obviously a subversion of that i think like he's not using the nudity in twin peaks uh, or in firewalk with me specifically to be subversive i think it's just all not table setting but like part of the world like I don't, I, I mean, I understand your point like that. If it irks you, it irks you. That's fine, obviously. But I would maybe give a little bit more credit to David Lynch than. Yeah, to I mean, I'm not trying to it. not give him credit. Like, I think, I think Twin Peaks as a whole is like one of the most significant artistic achievements, like in American culture. Like, like, I think, like, I think it's a great and worthy work that is worthy of like full engagement and discussion with it. I think there's like so much of it that's great. I, yeah, I just think like that, that there's, there's like certain levels of it. And I think like something that in the return that, bugs me a little bit is like there's it wasn't in the episodes we watched but at one point there's a like a speech that david lynch gives as director cole where he's like and i like where he's talking about like denise uh the the transgender character played by david mm-hmm. de and he's like i told everyone to like change their hearts or die fix their hearts or die or whatever and it, like that feels like a little like bat pat back patty to me where david lynch is like really proud of himself for exposing this stuff and i or, or like showing this stuff off and like I don't know that sort of has like permeated a little bit of my read on everything else where it's like okay like how much are you like into yourself for 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 showing this stuff and like it 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 it, it just it, it yeah it's it's the stuff that like always itches at me and I think like and I and it doesn't mean that I don't love the work and it, it doesn't mean that I don't think it's like a great and worthy work worthy of consideration but it's yeah, just sort of I mean, that level like smart people have been uh kind of uh, wanting to call david lynch on things since he's been making movies right. like the, the obvious one is roger ebert if i'm remembering correctly just uh, on blue velvet being like this movie is too cruel to the isabella rosalini character in a way that's absolutely not acceptable right yeah. um um yeah and and I mean yeah and and again I don't I don't want to like super dwell on this I'm happy to talk about more other elements of the movie that are great but yeah I, I just wanted to voice a little bit of like what mm-hmm. my slight reservations were sure yeah. and we'll cut yeah, it all I mean, out um, no. go ahead Emilio I mean yeah it's like yeah this is like I cer- I certainly had those thoughts even within the two episodes of the return I had those thoughts about what is David Lynch doing with women here? And I think it's actually mm-hmm. has been a good conversation about like, I do think it's like, obviously we talked about how he makes these movies about the evil and men part in, in America and stuff. And I think often I think his work can fall into like, well, we're going to show a woman getting treated like this because that's the way it is. And it's like, there's obviously like, he, he, it is the way it is. So he does have some sort of justification and like, portraying stuff that sort of way and like and communicating those sorts of feelings and experiences in those sorts of ways but he's all but it's also like not to call David Lynch lazy but it's also like using women as set dressing to be like look at how terrible people are look at how they get treated and just like putting naked women getting brutalized it's like an incredibly wide expanse of fiction and I don't it's like I've sort of moved past it 
Like, if I were to push back on Andy in any way, is that I think Fire Walk With Me is maybe the only one of his works which I've watched that fully gives... It's like when, like, let's talk about in the return, the like towards the end of the first episode, there is a naked woman who gets destroyed by like mm-hmm. the sort of phantom apparition or whatever happens in like inside right. the box. I have not watched the rest of it, so I do not know what exists in there. I don't know if yeah. it ever explains it. And that one, I'm more like, did you just want to show people fuck and then get right. killed? And it's like the like very A to B horror movie consequences of like the horny young people have to die because they got lazy or whatever. Right. Well, Firewalk with Me is maybe the only work of his that I've watched. Well, I think Mulholland also does this, where it's like it fully gives the main character her interiority, so when she does those sorts of things, I fully recognize what she sees in it and the humanity and the value in it. Like when when uh, when Laura Palmer goes into that bar and does all those things, it's like as weird and as like sort of non sequitur it is. I, I'm I'm like I get it. So if anything, mm-hmm. I think it's the one piece of his work where I'm like, yeah, I understand why this needed to be that lurid and why we need to show this and what his relationship to the woman being depicted on screen is. Whereas like again in like The Return and with Isabella Rosalini and Bluebell is actually sort of a good example of like she only exists in that movie to fucking suffer and you get treated that way and i was like there is certainly like you can certainly make the argument that like that is the case and that the artistic intention but it's like it's you can also make the the argument that it is boring and it is very minimizing of a person's humanity in a way that i don't feel like lynch usually is i feel like he if anything he he excels as a filmmaker who's good at finding like the quirks and humanness and like even the smallest characters in his work, which is why Twin Peaks was a success. But it's like, yeah, it's like we can certainly move on because it's like yeah. five dudes trying to figure out yeah, right, David exactly. Lynch's relationship to women is only gonna hit a certain wall at some point. But I do think the concerns raised are valid about his work. It's like, I think he is maybe one of my favorite filmmakers and I think he in many cases is a filmmaking genius, but I don't think he is, his work is certainly not beyond reproach. I certainly think there is issues within all of it. Yeah. The, um, I mean, I, do we want to go like through the plot of the, of uh, Firewalk with me or just sort of go around and give like thoughts on it? Like I want to do say specifically like the scene that we were talking about that uh, Andy had problems with. Uh, just like formally, like stylistically, I think is incredible. I mm-hmm. forgot about like I most of the movie I'd forgot about like other than like the broad strokes plot points. Like I'd forgot about like the way that that was done with the subtitles. I was like, oh, this is just so cool. <laughs> and then um, I also like um, there's a very weird quote in the like Criterion book, like to this like interview with him and like the interviewing the interviewer is just like assuming that the way David Lynch wanted it was that like. It had no subtitles, yes. and then like some distributor or whatever made it, made them put subtitles in it, and it was like, no, there's like, there's like, you can't inter- hear them. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yes. you can't hear, there's information that needs to be communicated. Right. The it. way it's the way it's phrased is that the guy is like, I assume that must have been some like dumb studio note, and David Lynch is like, nope, I'm the dumb studio note. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I think like r- what it does. Um, I've mostly said like my piece about the movie already that I just, I mean, it is not all on Sherilyn Finn. 
like what I love about it, but I think that performance is just too much of like a dyna- uh, dynamic, uh, heartbreaking performance that like uh, is one that I really respond to, respond to. And I think obviously like a lot of people who like the movie like it for her performance, but it's just so uh, like heartbreaking. Like you see her go like from like being like catty and mean with Donna to like being the most scared and sad like a person can be in the scenes with Ray Wise and it's just like it's such an impressive feat as an actor I like can't get over it in a way uh but I think also in talking about like I have not seen the mystic pieces I think if that were to be included it it sounds like something I would get enjoyment out of because I do like Twin Peaks but I think it would diminish the movie because Mm -hmm. what it does so well is have like the prologue that we're talking about with like Chris Isaac and Kiefer Sutherland like as it's isolated thing, like sort of laying the ground of like the Renette Pulaski murder, uh, murder, and then uh, giving us just that week of Laura Palmer that like is maybe a retread from the show because you like they basically go over like what happens to her and like mimic it in a way with the Laura's cousin uh, plot right. line and her the identical show. cousin also played by yeah. Cheryl Lee, yeah. Um. A real, but I a think real, a real just, TV trope that I like that yeah. on the show. <laughs> Not even I think David it just. From. <laughs> I think <laughs> it works um, so well as just like the story of Laura Palmer. Like it just is what it is, and like what it needs to be, and like is a payoff of the show in a way. It's like this character exists like only as a dead person in the show, and like memories of her. So like giving her the interior interiority, like Amelia was saying, I think is like a very important thing that to be done with the Twin Peaks lore. And I just really responded to it. And like, I had read a few reviews of it, like letterbox reviews going in and people were talking about like how they, they cried a lot watching it. I was like, I don't remember being that sad or like being that emotionally effective. Like I remember being good and thinking it was scary when I watched it. And then when I watched it this time, uh, like <laughs> the second of the like, falling like the theme song started playing in the movie i was like my hand over my heart i was like this is so beautiful and then like just so sad when it's like showing her like at her school and i was like definitely on board with like the had a lot of tears flowing in the movie i mean that that piece of music is amazing oh i mean yeah what they played it in the return also and i was like god angelo bottlementi is the king of all men yeah it's like three notes you go ahead darren I was gonna say, like, the, like to Colin's point, I feel like, like the way that it expands on the Laura Palmer character adds such a richness to, I think, the first two seasons of Twin Peaks. Because, like you said, she's pretty much just a dead body for most of it, despite like her, like Sherilyn Fenn getting to play like her long lost cousin. But um, like cause when you rewatch it, because I feel like the thing with Twin Peaks, the original series, just talking about it for a quick second, is like that first episode, one of the greatest moments is when it just yeah. cuts between the shared grief of everybody when they find out Laura died. Yeah. But I feel like after Fire Walk With Me, like just that per- that, that grief that permeates the entire series is even more powerful because like yeah. you, you witness the actual tragedy, you know, that she underwent, you know, like yeah. this sweet girl just being corrupted. I mean, yeah, it yeah. is. I'm- go, go ahead. No, I mean, I like it's Colin Jeremy is saying. I think that is like the power of Fire Walk with Me, and I think why I connect to it because I'm a person. I think if I have any sort of like grand takes on like stuff is that I generally find lore under or like overrated. It's like mm-hmm. just like or lore and like plot of just like the things that happen aren't as important to me as like 
the characters and how they react to it and how what happens to it. And I think that is like the grand like achievement of Fire Walk with me, which is like taking like what happened in the show as like the story of like them discovering what happened to her and like their last days, how she lived her life in secret or whatever, and turning it into like a full emotional experience and like a full person uh, who Laura Palmer was what what she reacted to, what she did, why she did it, and it just works for me. Like, uh, it's, it's my favorite Twin Peaks thing, so it sort of works for me better than anything in the show ever does. But I, which is not to say it's like it's sort of a weird thing to talk about because I think they're doing very different things. It's almost uh, it's almost unfair to compare them because it's just like, as I said, it's like Firewalk with me is just doing a thing I respond to more than what Twin Peaks is doing. Mm-hmm. certainly not like i don't i think like in terms of the craft i think they're probably about as good as each other there's like especially for like considering that like fire walk with me is a movie with like a budget and like time to shoot and like twin peaks the tv show is like an abc tv show in 1990 so it's not like you're not gonna get it be able to pull off some of the stuff that fire walk with me pulls off in a television show no. until until like the return <laughs> where it's like 20 years yeah. later, David right. Lynch has a blank check because he becomes right. twi- twi- He like walks like- away at some point and then like they give him enough money and time and say, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like Twin Peaks has become like a cultural phenomenon, like even past, like, it's like, I mean, that's maybe the story of what the, like the podcast, this episode is, it's like, Fire Walk With Me is sort of a disaster critically and commercially. It's like, as I think Jesse was maybe alluding to, it wasn't a full disaster critically. There probably there are were some people who responded to it like semi positively at Cannes or whatever. But it's like I, I will fans say, of Twin I've, Peaks. I've been leafing, like, continuing to leaf through the uh, the Criterion booklet, and at the very end, uh, they do talk about uh, the Cannes reception, and he's he. Uh, He's like, I, it was awful. I've blocked that whole experience out of my mind. Oh. Yeah. Though, again, I don't know how reliable David Lynch sure. is a narrator of that situation. <laughs> but uh, I certainly believe that it was treated, like, very poorly and people responded to it poorly. It's, like, one of the things where I'm like, yeah, it's, like, so season two ended on a cliffhanger and you were, like, more Twin Peaks and you watched this and you, you'd probably be, like, no, nothing yeah. with no promise of anything else ever coming they like talked about like they were maybe going to make more movies but then like it did not do well enough for yeah. that to I'm, be a plan i'm just picturing like the like the average joe like you know like husband and wife they're like oh we used to love watching twin peaks when it aired on tv oh they made a movie we're gonna rent this from blockbuster yeah, right. yeah, and, and just then you're like, like, a, you're like what the absolutely fuck horrified <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, Jeremy, I know you wanted to maybe we talked about this a little before recording. You want to talk about how David Lynch uses color very well, and he's maybe the best at it of all time. Of all time, <laughs> I mean, he he does he is fantastic when it comes to uh, impl- implementing color into his movies. And uh, just in like I think in like very non traditional ways. Like it's not like a guy like. Like, if you listen to, like, any interview with, like, Guillermo del Toro, I don't know why he's the first guy that comes to mind. He's like, oh, I designed this entire move, this scene where it's all going to be blue, and this all, this is, you know, everything in this scene is going to be green. Whereas I feel like David Lynch, it's more like he draws color from the surroundings. Yeah. 
Like, I feel like mm-hmm. the uh, the roadhouse, like the scene in Firewalk, the roadhouse, just how red it is. And, yeah. Like, yeah. You know mm-hmm. that the red's coming from the lights and like just everything around it, but it also just like adds to the entire mood that we're in a dark, dangerous place. Or like, uh, I think, I can't remember, so my brain's bad because I'm getting old. Uh, if it if they use it in uh, Firewalk, <laughs> but definitely in Twin Peaks, just like the the dark blues they use when it comes to like Laura Palmer's body, like whatever you see mm-hmm. Laura Palmer's body, like, and it's wrapped up in the yeah. plastic. They've painted her like silver blue. It's yeah, yeah it's very striking. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, just like, it's like emotions. Like it was like the emotions themselves are like flashing these colors. Like, like, uh, so yeah. I know some people like uh, when they criticize him, other than they criticize like the nonlinear stuff because they're boring and they're bad at watching movies. But, um, they're uh like they they criticize him for being too like uh like pat like Emilio said they're like oh like he's going for the most obvious things like oh of course like you know you're gonna use red when something bad's happening or you're gonna use blue when people are sad but it's like some like I feel like a great filmmaker knows how to take those things that might be traditional and like in some cases overused and adapt them in a way that's like powerful and like creates good storytelling yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah when i think it's funny when you said you wanted to talk about color what i thought of and we didn't get to this in the return but i thought of the the bright green dougie jones suit coat as yeah. Well. yeah yeah one yeah. of the most iconic uses of color <laughs> maybe i mean yeah it's like i've, I've bought some dougie it's just like that is very uh, it's like again a very sort of obvious dynamic of like the mm-hmm. two Kyle McLaughlin characters in the return that are right. Cooper of like Dougie J- Jones in bright green and the other <laughs> guys in all black. Right. Yeah, in all black. Yeah. But mullet, I think yeah, yeah. It, it's like a very it's almost oversaturated some of his movie, but mm-hmm. it's like th- that sort of saturation mm-hmm. is like what yeah. I think about like the opening of Blue Velvet is extremely striking. That sort of sense of like the fire truck running through like the yeah the green uh, yeah. like suburbs it's like the blue sky and just like it's uh, again it's like an obvious contrast of like look at how beautiful the suburbs look <laughs> mm-hmm. then in contrast with like the cds like dennis hopper places in the movie but it's it's a fact yeah. I, I really like how it looks um yeah, yeah. I, so like even in just like the prologue of Firewalk with me i think of like the way that he films like first of all the scene where it's like Chris Isaac and like that random school bus full of like screaming children that is never right. explained. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then yeah. and Where they're like <laughs> arresting the guy on the side of the road. Right. And yeah. then like, they just leave the children who are continuously streaming, screaming yes. on the school bus, which is a wonderful like comedic idea. Um, and then uh, the, Lil, the, like the, the, the code mm-hmm. to Chris Isaac and the way that she is like dressed so loudly and like, has her like artificial red hair and like makes her sour face and all that. Like his, yeah, yeah, his just like the, he's like, I'm going to like throw like bold visual images at you. And I really do Mm -hmm. love that in in his work. Yeah. Uh, Some of the like, well, if we want to talk about the return now, I was going to say, I had maybe a way to transition, transition. which is to, uh, to bring back a little, what you were talking about, about the way that, Twin Peaks balances kind of this very 
lore heavy super you know mm-hmm. all this black lodge whatever stuff with the really deep characterization that feels very much like what the legacy of twin peaks is and like when i when i was talking about lost a little earlier like right. that damon lindelof it feels like in all of his projects very right. much is taking that from twin peaks i mean uh, yeah like that is the thing that like bridges it to like the return being a thing that was allowed to happen as Twin Peaks become right. like an incredibly influential piece of media, maybe shape 20 years worth of television. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, it is especially like, especially like, even if like the ending and firewalk with me were not the most popular, like that is the stuff that like creative people really responded to. And were mm-hmm. like, I want to integrate this stuff like into my work, the stuff, the, 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 you know, the ability to be able to do that sort of thing. Yeah. You obviously see it all over, like everything Damon Lindelof has ever done. Um, uh, it's, it's, and, and, and like, yeah, just the way that you can sort of take the genres that are existing, like the genre of like, you know, these like primetime soaps or whatever and bend them and like make them more artistic and 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 deeper yeah. uh, i think is yeah it's just like a tremendous legacy for the for the yeah, show i mean have. it was like like mur- obviously it didn't like invent that sort of more murder mystery tv show there's like a bunch of stuff that but it's like certainly something like true detective owes mm-hmm. and enti- it's mm-hmm. maybe both sleeves the twin peaks oh yeah something. yeah like the killing also just like all these pacific yeah. northwest like right rainy murder mysteries well yeah um, and and what we have we're coming up we're going to be talking about top of the lake like you feel a lot of twin peaks yeah. influence in top of the lake for sure yeah um yeah this is yeah. like even in like spaces like video games like hideo kojima oh, is yeah. a big twin peak fan alan way deadly premonition, deadly premonition. Like, <laughs> yeah it's control. like oh, yeah control for sure it's like there certainly have been like its influence was felt for so many years and then i guess show how did showtime end up being the the uh the, the i believe the head of programming for showtime was the head of at abc who was the guy they originally pitched oh, wow. twin peaks to at abc who gave it the green light so he had transferred over to showtime i believe cbs also owned like it was cbs was the CBS production company or like yeah yeah, CBS was the production company of the original Twin Peaks because the rules used to be that you couldn't produce and air shows from the same studio. Like, uh, the network couldn't air shows from their own right. home studio, and then those rules don't exist anymore. But, so, so CBS owned, like, the rights to Twin Peaks. Um, and so it, and so since Showtime was their, like, pay cable home, it was the natural place to go because that is where, like, adult oriented like mid-budget things go these days is like is on pay cable um the, so that's um, sort of, yeah go ahead oh i was just say like in starting and talking about uh the return something that i forgot about in the return completely at uh i believe it's in the near the end of the first episode in matthew lillard in his cell they showed the woodsman i also did not remember that he was in firewalk with me and yeah, when i was firewalk watching it, i was like holy yeah, shit that's where, <laughs> and where, then, the, yeah, yeah. where the idea of the woodsman gets introduced is in firewalk with yeah me. i know yeah, that's, it, that's like, uh this episode too because i would just watch okay. just watch that section after like his wife yeah. talked mm-hmm. to him and they right exactly yes. that's how it starts then yeah because i watched it uh, i when it aired like as its premiere yeah. Uh, not at Cannes, but on television. Mm-hmm. It aired uh, in two parts as part one and part two combined and part three and part four combined. Uh, as well, two yeah, it was, 
Yes, I believe so. That they aired two weeks back to back, part one and two, without like credits in between. Then yeah. Showtime released parts three and part four on demand on the same yes. day, like same that night. night. Yeah. Yes. So you could yeah, watch all four I, parts yeah, the first week. I remember, uh, I believe, getting home after a baseball game and watching uh, all four of those, those first four parts uh, yeah. with like a Showtime free trial or something. Yeah, I was I, yeah, I was dog sitting at a play, at a house that had Showtime, so I watched the first two live and then like used his on demand system to watch three and four the next day. Yeah, I, I actually fully subscribed to Showtime for like the whole like three or four months and then it's I'm literally right. the night that the finale premiered i went on the website i was like no more showtime for me uh-huh i'm you sure now very you can't watch black monday <laughs> well now that you're yeah. mine with me i have to sign what's, what's what's been going on on black monday recently cullen hey i don't have to worry about tv anymore i live in a different country um <laughs> the but when I watched it for like rewatched it for the purposes of this, I watched it as the fe- feature length again. Yeah. Um, and then like after I finished, I was like, I wonder where like the delineation was because like in my head, I imagine it was like at whatever because it's like an hour and fifty one. Uh, as the feature length, I was like, I imagine it's like halfway through. Uh, but it does end. Um, when they find like the piece of skin in Matthew Lillard's trunk, it like cuts okay. back to you know. Uh, Carol Storyukin, uh, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his last name, um, and like the sort of like Vodafone record player, you know, going right. off, mm-hmm. uh, and it just rolls credits over that, and then right. starts off with Lillard and his wife in the prison cell. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in talking about like the reception of Firewalk with Me, the reception of you know the return was obviously at Cannes much more lauded. It's like one of the well, big, right. Like, I mean, even before even year. before like, he was being received, like he goes. Even before anyone has seen it, it goes from like he gets booed in 1992 to by 2017, he's in a place where even though it is a TV show, which can pretty rarely shows, though this happens to also be the year that they showed uh, the entirety of the second season of Top of the Lake, uh, (laughs) it is probably the most anticipated thing that played can that year. Yeah. Well, did it? And I know people... Did it play at Cannes before it premiered on Showtime? I think so. Let's well, see. Yeah, I Cannes remember there is... was like a premiere in like Los Angeles where they showed the first right. two parts. Uh, that was I like... believe the air date on Showtime was like May 21st or something. It was end of May for sure. If it's May it 21st, definitely... sounds right. Uh, Maybe May Which Cannes started on May 17th that year and I think it played close to the beginning so it may have only been like a A day or two before like uh, whatever midweek before that sunday you know right uh but i know like probably people um talk about like you know never trust a standing ovation at can because it's always just like you know whatever they're happy to see like i I think good time that same year had a pretty long standing ovation uh, but right. it does like warm my heart to see David Lynch like crying and waving at yeah, everyone. Yeah, there's there's video that you can ovation. see yeah. of David Lynch like standing as like the crowd is giving him. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like one of the things where like the standing ovation maybe isn't always indicative of like whether the thing is quality or not, but it is indicative of how people feel about you. And so right, just the, like yeah, the sort of reaction to a thing that David Lynch made with all that gap. Mm-hmm. So Adam, did he have more can between? 
Um, jeez. I feel like the straight Tyler. story maybe played Can. Yeah, I think the straight story might have played. So it's not like he was like, he just like left Salty and no, came yeah. back all that year later. But I think, as Andy mentioned, he had a particular connection to Twin Peaks and seeing the impact that it made right. and like the response. And I think maybe Mulholland Drive did too. The, the, that sort of world and experience. It's like, it's, yeah. like it's, it's not like it was fully like, well, David Lynch is trash in the eyes of Ken and then he came back 15 years later and everybody was wrong and they were boo boo the fool and <laughs> were, were crying. Right, no, no. More what I was saying was that he has an arc over those uh, 25 years, I guess, where he becomes kind of one of the I mean yeah by the time Mulholland comes Ken. out Mulholland is like unambiguously praised as like a right. masterpiece yeah uh-huh. I mean, Mulholland is like yeah like BBC sight and sound whatever like best film yeah, of the exactly. decade like number one number two unquestionably always so it's like yes great. and then um I guess Inland Empire people like people don't love that movie i guess there's like a cult probably there are certainly people but like that's not like yeah right but that's not one where you're like you know what like that's never one that's gonna like make a top 10 of the decade list or whatever no yeah um it's like one of the things it's like even the people who love it i doubt that if any of them would say that it's their favorite david lynch thing it's just like that's like it exists comfortably within its uber and there are things that like Right. Right. And then, like, yeah, like, yeah, the gap between the, like, Inland Empire of what, 06? Yes. Yeah, I think. So, like, so it's a decade. Yeah, 11 years of, like, a person who was considered, again, he made Mulholland Drive, which is widely considered to be the best film of the decade, taking that long a break because, like, has he talked about what was what the break was for? Was he just like tired of Hollywood? Didn't want to make any movies. He tried to make stuff, didn't happen. Or what, I think it was... it's a combination of being sick of Hollywood and of uh, having trouble getting funding. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's you know his sort of movies don't get like he you know he is in that like middle that like doesn't exist anymore, and that's why like he has to go back to TV. Is like a lot of like what the at least the narrative is is like yeah you know, he, I think he, he in interviews at the time of the return was like yeah like if you're wanting like interesting adult fare like you have to go to the cable like to your cable channel and like it's unfortunate that it's not playing in a theater which is what I would prefer for everything I ever make but like that's mm-hmm. where like this sort of stuff is getting made yeah and he's also like one of the directors like who like early on took the side of digital over film because he like right he yeah. likes like because that's like a big thing is like these film directors like Nolan especially right now uh, exclusively want their movies to play in theaters, uh, you know, whatever risk it causes to <laughs> the fans who want to see it. And I feel like Lynch is like you know famously hates the idea of watching something on an iPhone is like a famous clip of him, um, but is also so uh, receptive of digital filmmaking that I like and you know he put out a movie this year a short film on netflix so there's like talkings or people talking that he uh is like partnered with netflix now and is like whatever his next thing is is going to be a netflix thing yes there have been Um, rumors that he uh for several years that he's working on something with netflix yeah like i remember one thing i think one of the things was that um i feel like like years ago 
Tim Heidecker posted something to Facebook, like right after Twin, like in 27 or 18, maybe implying that he had taken a meeting with Netflix for a David Lynch thing. I think I do remember this. Yeah, it seems like he's definitely not, uh, you know, whatever theatrical run Netflix gives anything these days. But like, uh, he's definitely not opposed to like the digital, uh, you know, distribution for releasing his projects. Yeah. Um, before we talk, I guess we can talk, I think a little bit more about like what's next, but I think we should maybe talk about these episodes of the return a little bit more. Uh, Can I ask you a quick question? Andy, you might seem like the person who knows this. Sure. Where was Mark Frost? Yeah. Mark Frost. Um, I think he, like he had been like a TV guy. Like he did. I think he worked on Hill Street Blues. Yeah. Yeah, Hill Street Blues Blues, is what what it's credited. Um, Yeah. So like he, he writes, uh, when does he write, um, the secret history of twin peaks i forget that comes out like sh- and like he gets like a bunch of people to do the audiobook for that like if you get the audiobook of the secret history of twin peaks uh like uh mclaughlin is on it uh, michael horse is on it there's like a bunch of like twin peaks cast members um yeah uh, uh and- is that around the same time as the big like blu-ray box that came out i think so it's published yeah. in october 2016 yeah, uh, several months before. So it's like that, like happens like in the run up to the the return. Um, he, I believe, in the meantime, he like writes like fantasy novels. Uh, he's got got he. I think he dabbles in other TV. I'm work. Crea- I'm on his IMDb page. So he he uh, creates a couple of other TV shows. He does on the air. He co-creates right. with David Lynch, and then there's a show called buddy pharaoh uh that he does in it actually lasts uh a few years it looks like uh and, and most importantly he co-wrote both fantastic four yes, movies that's correct that is the next <laughs> thing i was gonna say <laughs> right um yeah and he has like yeah he has this series of like the paladin prophecy books where he writes like 2012 2013 2015 is the name of them uh, and so like he, he he's sort of like doing his own thing uh, he yeah I guess he's never had like quite the level of like genius or, or tourship credited to him as David Lynch like yeah, yeah I mean yeah that is why I did want yeah. to bring him up because it's like yeah obviously David Lynch a great filmmaker and right. one of the best he made a lot of great movies but it's like Twin Peaks is also Mark Frosting he deserves credit yeah. for the things he made it in his Absolutely. contribution to it yeah and, and 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 like especially like i do think like i think some of the stuff that like maybe you are, have spoken of is not responding to as much is like a lot of like mark frost is really into like conspiracy theory stuff um like in the twin peaks book there's all this stuff about like lewis and clark uh and like the way that they factor into the history of twin peaks and stuff. like that's like that's how far back the twin peaks secure history of twin peaks book goes back like way back to that and then like sort of explores the history of the town from through then um yeah so so he brings in a lot of these other elements um and and i mean i i like i i like the, those sorts sure of i mean yeah, again yeah. again it gets back to like the like secret underbelly of the things that like right much like the word yeah um but that's not apparently right and so yeah they collaborate together they write the entirety of season three of the return together as like one thing famously they don't give anyone the entire script except for kyle mclaughlin mm-hmm. everyone else only gets the pages that they appear on 
uh, sort of like, you know, I don't know, Marvel movie style, I guess. Like, and, and they, uh, at one point they are like, David Lynch like announces on Twitter that he's not going to direct it anymore. Uh, and is like, they're, they're still moving ahead, but like, I'm not going to direct it. And it's basically like a uh, negotiation ploy and eventually Showtime comes to the table. Like, I think they wanted nine hours and he like works them up to 18. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, he's like, oh, word, how about... Right. double that much <laughs> yeah exactly um and so that all happens they go into production they block shoot it in like one big chunk they don't necessarily shoot it so that they're shooting episode by episode they sort of shoot it based on locations and stuff um but oh, yeah. then they divide it up into these episodes uh they make the the the, the two-hour premiere cut that airs on showtime and is what they show at the los angeles premiere and it can um and and yeah so um, I, mean, I mean, I can't imagine shooting the show episode, but it's just like you look yeah, at the first yeah, episode and it's, <laughs> yeah. and it's just like there's stuff in the red room and there's stuff wherever. If you own the return on Blu-ray, watch the behind the scenes documentary just to watch like how frustrated David Lynch gets with like yeah. the, the managing of all these different locations. Like, there's like, I think it's on the internet, a famous clip where they're like, oh, well, we only have like two days to shoot here. And he's like, two days? Like, how the fuck am I supposed to experiment in two days? There's so much <laughs> yes. stuff I want to do. There's, yeah, there's another one uh, where he's like, someone's like, and then if we need to cut this down a little bit, we can't. And he's like, what's the deal with everyone and fucking tell me how to be, uh, how to manage my time? He's like, who cares how long a scene is? Um, but I was going to say, speaking on the documentary, um, I watched, uh, because I thought it would, I <laughs> I thought it would go like in line with the episodes, but hearing that it probably goes in line with how they filmed it. Because I watched like the first one, and there's like a few clips of him like talking to Sherilyn Finn, and like talking to um like one of the final scenes with like Cooper and uh, Laura Dern, and I'm like, oh, this is probably just like <laughs> not related to the episode at all. Like there's one shot of it, or one shot, one uh clip of him talking to grace zaberski about like watching the tigers eating the buffaloes and she's like this is what i'm into <laughs> and it's like pretty good but the rest of it is just like uh you know as sort of like or even more so like the documentary is directed by um the actor who plays you richard know uh, benjamin Hart. yeah richard bamer um and it's like uh more sort of like it's just like a lot of like uh, some German guy giving narration over like drone shots of nature for half of it. It's like, okay, um, this is not like what uh, I, I think I'd seen like all the clips of him talking and like dealing with the actors uh, compiled on YouTube before I had watched like on the Blu-ray. I was like, this is not what I was expecting is like a behind the scenes feature. It. I watched all six hours. I mean, hey, more power to you. <laughs> Also, uh, I guess if this is again just talking about marginalia, because I think it's hard. We, it's, it's sort of hard to talk about these first two episodes in sort of isolation. Yeah. Because it's like a lot of this, but it's like, what was the, like? I guess it more. It also speaks to like the cultural impact of Twin Peaks, just like all the bands at the end of the episode. Oh like, yeah. Right. Because like this one ends with the chromatics, and then he's got like, you know, Eddie Vedder and like uh, Nine Inch Nails famously in episode eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just David David Lynch. I heard someone describe him once as being into pitchfork core. <laughs> so I think it's just like the music he's like he likes. He's like, yeah, throw it in there. Yeah, and I think like he like obviously I think is like 
pretty aware of like what his influence has been i think and like a lot of these bands are like very influenced by twin peaks and like his I mean, aesthetic and stuff it's like, it's like if trent Reznor tries to say that nine inch nails is in some way inspired by like the aesthetic of david lynch movies then he's a fucking liar so right it's like, yeah obviously so i think yeah I, I and i think like and i guess like just maybe transition into a little speaking a little more about like what this is like i think the way that they build that in structurally of like these roadhouse performances at the end of every episode is like one, why like the, is it a movie argument is silly to me because it like has such a episode. You said we weren't going to talk. About I know this, I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to dwell on it, but also like is, um, is, is sort of gets this idea of like, um, he, David Lynch as like, I, the, the way that he just wants to like hang out and capture little moments of of life like a lot of those moments in in the roadhouse like some of them are like featuring characters that you know and love and like but some of them are just like little slices of life of like little characters who are pretty inconsequential to the rest of the plot and i think like the 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 way that he was aspiring for both like a big conspiracy like we got to get like we got to deal with like the the bad dale is in the world and we got to get him back like overarching plot and also just like he wants to hang out and get the vibes of the twin peaks world that he loves so much and the way that the return is able to balance both of those even this early on which is maybe like these first two episodes are maybe a little more heavily in the like we got to deal with all this like this stuff that like we that we left the 25 year cliffhanger on and all that stuff is like maybe a little more forefronted in the first two hours but uh but there is plenty of like let's just like hang out and like spend some time in the world of Twin Peaks because I love it so much that you really get the feeling of. Yeah. It is a lot of table setting. Like in my memory, I was like wondering like if certain things were going to come this early on. Cause I have only seen it once yeah. uh, as it aired. So like I, in watching these, I was like, I got to just watch it all again. It's so damn good. But uh, I was like in watching, I was like, Oh, are we going to get to like, Matthew Lillard and his big crying scene like this early on, but we didn't get to it. I'm like, damn, that's such a good scene. But um, he, uh, there's also like, uh, I was one, I couldn't remember. I think it's probably the next episode or like the next combined chunk is um, the Harry Dean Stanton stuff and like more of those introductions. But uh, what we got, I mean, it is like, like you were saying more, uh, not expository, but just like getting it out there. Like, oh, okay. You can see like, uh, they show even like clips from the original, um, right? That iconic series, shot like the, the girl finale, like yeah. running across the the thing from exactly, the yeah. yeah, and then yeah, you see Cooper in the red room and yeah, like he is told like these are like the three things you got to look out for, which like I don't think really come into play until the very end of the series. Spoiler, um, uh, yeah, so yeah, there's like a lot of stuff that I'm like do not remember i'm like i gotta just watch it again and like right, i know see what else unlocks for me yeah well and watching it have it so i have like watched it in its entirety as it's airing and i have like got the blu-ray so i have piecemeal rewatched like episodes one through like nine or ten ish like you know maybe once once every three or four months i'll throw on an episode of the return just like or or two mm-hmm. um uh since i have gotten the blu-ray um and yeah, watching these first two parts again, it's 
it's I see very clearly like oh this is why this is this way like I see all the track that they're laying for like where things are gonna go from there like even just the um uh the Russ Hamblin uh scene oh yeah which like as you get it like in these two episodes is like what like he like is like that's one of the that's one of the most hilarious cuts I've ever seen. In those yeah, it's, it's so like, good. It's just like him taking up. He gets boxes delivered, and then he just like picks up a shovel, and like the camera is like from four four trees back away, and then it just cuts to something completely different. Right, and, come back to <laughs> and we yeah. do not revisit it within these two hours. No, uh-huh. and it's so funny, and like it's also like and. Also, like, that section is like, oh, yeah, David Lynch, like, knows how to photograph the Pacific Northwest. Like, the trees yeah, and stuff so gorgeous, incredible. Um, I mean, but, yeah, I mean, like, the opening with, like, the theme song over the, the yeah, waterfall the yeah. and, like, the font, it just, like, it's, yeah. like, it's I could incredible. watch a 10-hour loop of it. God, I, I just, I missed that summer just for that feeling of every Sunday night, oh. just, mm-hmm. just the opening with the music. It's just, right. Oh, my God, it was yeah. so good. Yeah, um, coincidentally, uh, Miriam Bale was tweeting about exactly that. That like that does kind of feel like the the last big cultural event, particularly for like a certain group of people. Because I, I mean, basically yeah. film Twitter, right? I mean, we can talk about it. The ratings for the return were not particularly good. Like it never reached a million viewers in a week or whatever, and it it like it was well received among certain circles, but it like did not get wider like awards attention really uh so it was like it was very it was extremely well received within certain circles but then like didn't have much impact on the outside of that which i think is typical to sort of how tv works these days Kyle mclaughlin was robbed yeah yeah jesus um this this is maybe too like obscure of a non sequitur but there's like without naming them there's a podcast i used to listen to like around the time of the return uh, and I like was thinking about it recently because there was also like part of the same like podcast group of these people. Uh, one of the things that they talked about that like initially I was like, oh, these people might like. I enjoyed the enjoyed the, like the podcast, but like they don't have like the same taste as me at all. And it's like not a make or break thing, obviously. But I was like, maybe I don't need to listen to this anymore. Was they talked about uh, how excited they were for Twin Peaks and then that they hated the return? I was like, oh, you don't get it and then also <laughs> that they constantly made fun of <laughs> i mean maybe a weird thing to bring up now they constantly made fun of the bound Two music video and talked about how it was a bad song bound Two by kanye west and i was like oh that's a great song and a great video you just don't get it and it was like not at the same time but those two things in my mind the ba- are linked in my the bound Two music video maybe not completely on david lynchian I mean, sure. Yeah, <laughs> there is a horse in Twin Peaks: The Return that is just out of nowhere. The horse uh, is those... in Firewalk with me too. Oh, is it isn't it? oh yeah, I think sure. so. It's in both. Makes How dare you forget about the horse? Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, it was. There was like a certain group where it was like, "This is the greatest yeah. thing ever." Like, this is like the most artistic TV has ever been. Like, there was that crowd, and then there was the like, there "What is. is this nonsense that you're doing?" Like, this is not how TV should work. Like, yeah. please learn, learn to to like have a sense. I mean, of it it crowd. it is like a genuinely difficult piece of yeah. art. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, it's like. I think a credit to Showtime for letting him make it, a credit to exactly. Lynch for oh, making it, a credit a to Lynch and Profit. Yeah, it's like a sort of a miracle of a thing that... And it's, 
it's like definitely not the same show that the first two seasons was. Like uh, it is no. almost completely different. But like I mean, I think weren't like, there like quotes by like him that he that he was like, if you want to know what the return is gonna be like, I re- recommend you go watch Firewalk with me and not the yeah, original show. Yeah. But that is, that is the vibe I am going for, and that is what I'm going to do here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was like maybe a little less direct than that. He like people would ask him about his experience, and he's like, the pilot of Twin Peaks is great. I had a great experience for season one. Season two is shit. Like he would like that. And then he was like, oh, and I also love making Firewalk with me. It was sort of like his like vibe on like the press tour in leading up to the premiere of The Return, Um, which is that I do want to point out, it is not officially subtitled The Return. That is just a marketing name for it. Like it is just called Twin Peaks again. Um, uh, The, I, I would also guess like to steer us a little bit just in, in deference to our guest towards speaking a little bit more specifically about Matthew Lillard. Yeah, he's did great. We, did we mention so, up at the top the reason why we're specifically having Yeah, we did. Yeah. I don't remember, didn't remember if that was before we started recording or or, uh, yeah. uh, or uh, after. Uh, but yes, so Lillard is in these first two parts and he's really good. Uh, so he plays, good. he shows up first uh, they're pulling prints off of this uh, this this crime scene of this woman who is like has a gigantic hole in her face, um, yes. and uh, his prints come up, and you see his like driver's license, and you find out that he is the um, it's uh, I, this stuff is set in uh, Wyoming, I think, South or Dakota, South Dakota, South, South Dakota, Dakota, South Dakota yeah. stuff, um, and it, he is the principal of like an elementary school. Yeah, and they arra- mm-hmm. and they arrest him, and the arresting scene is great. His wife, um, he's so mad. <laughs> is right. Is like you know the neighbors are coming for dinner or whatever. Yeah, they're like fed up with like because everyone like knows each other in this town basically, and like the cop who's arresting him, uh, played by Brent Briscoe. Uh, she's like, "What are you doing? Like we have people coming over, right?" And it's, <laughs> um, and she actually uh, an inconvenience. She is played by, I'm trying to look her up because I, uh, she's na- played by Cornelia Guest is the name and sh- who is like a socialite and like a debutante uh, and okay. has like done like a little bit of acting, but not much is mostly in like stuff as people's moms and like has, is like a designer. So is she's just like somebody that re- like David Lynch randomly knew and like threw in to be in the movie uh, against like Matthew Lillard I just always think it's interesting like he really like his casting process is really wild and he'll like right. just pull in like interesting people uh who which I think is good he does it in good ways and bad ways he definitely like will cast a lot of people who are um uh like non-traditional like body types that you would see on tv which I always think is really uh, cool to see that like he's like willing to give those people like work and like treat them r- well within his shows uh but then i i do you know sometimes i think it's like it's, it's a little more insular and like the people who he's not necessarily casting i think is sometimes a problem yeah, and she's okay. like <laughs> fucking cullen's dumb face uh, come on <laughs> um cornelia guest's father was winston churchill's cousin you yeah. should have seen oh. Cullen's fucking uh, You Like Krabby Patties, Don't You? <laughs> exactly, face, right? Face <laughs> when, when Andy said uh, he got her to be in the movie. I do want to say, like, she is great in it also. Um, and we, like, just in private conversation, we're talking about this recently that I feel like 
previous performances and like post performances to everyone involved in the return link somehow gets a great performance out of everybody we don't need to go into other episodes that we didn't cover uh but i just think like specifically the one that or not the one but one that i think about a lot as his twitter presence grows is jim belushi um he's so great in, in his later episodes so good um but yes yeah. back to matthew willard do you have any I was, I was just gonna say, even as somebody who didn't watch the return it's like one of the few things i got from twitter is just being people being like huh this guy's in it Oh, like oh, yeah. that's like when they made the announcement of like that huge cast list and it's like right they just posted people. an alphabetical list of every actor who had a line <laughs> yes. in the show which was wonderful <laughs> yeah so delightful but yeah matthew lillard uh, yes um and, and so yeah they arrest him and like there's all these scenes of him in an interrogation room and he is like giving a full performance of like a man in like shock and panic attack mode like he won't stop like like running his like fingers over his face oh. and stuff and the sound it's, it's like heartbeat until like they open the yeah. door like the sound design is like Doosh! every time his right. hands like recycle to the back of his head yeah um it's he's goes so intense in places that you maybe necessarily haven't seen matthew lillard go mm-hmm. in well, many yeah. projects especially in currently where he's like mostly like he does shaggy and things yeah right? well like, i think the, the big thing with matthew lillard for me why i'm so excited to talk about him on my own podcast and just today is that i think he started out as one of those one of those actors where like everybody is like oh this is a this exciting new presence you know he's in like slc punk and scream and like serial mom and then he kind of went down that rabbit hole of like oh he's going to show up in these like kind of bro comedies he played shaggy and he just kind of got lost to the void. Like he very well may have given like good performances here and there, but you just kind of forgot about him for a while. At least I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, just, he just became shaggy yeah. pretty much. It's one of those things where you play a character that's so big. That's just you. Right. And then like, I remember it's like, I was excited to hear that he was on the return or Twin Peaks season mm-hmm. three. And then just like, I guess I had forgotten how good I had seen him like be before. And like, especially scream. That's an all time. Yeah. That mm-hmm. he's so good. And then when he just, like kills it in the return you're like holy shit matthew willard yeah i will say i i I saw your list and i don't think you're going to talk about this movie the one role that i think he's really good in in between uh shaggy and twin peaks is he's in the descendants as a man who cocks george clooney (laughs) (laughs) which he's very good in that yeah and Uh then he also like i don't i I can't imagine you guys would cover it because it's not like a movie he's in but he directed a few movies like yeah, what is it, like fat, fat kid rules the world yeah with jacob waisaki waisaki yeah um who i and we bought didn't get... a shirt from once um <laughs> uh, <laughs> cool <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we won't uh, if you want like, more of that know... story send ten dollars to jesse i guess i don't yeah know. that would pay me back exactly for the shirt <laughs> so yes if you send me ten dollars i'll tell you the story i i think like uh there's some video of him doing promo for something else uh where he i think it was with av club uh where he is talking about like how difficult it was to do the return because like andy was saying like he only had his pages and like david lynch in the behind the scenes feature that i was watching like he his direction of actors is like you are like experiencing this right now <laughs> like this is what you're going through and he's like giving very specific direction uh and i guess like it was incredibly hard for him uh, and he had like not a problem but like difficulty 
finding the tone of like how pitch he's supposed to play it and like how Archie's supposed to play it. Cause especially in like the later episodes that he's in, he's got this insane scene where he's crying, like, like complete, like blubbering mess. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, I can imagine if that is like, you only know that you have to shoot this scene and you are not aware of like what is happening around you. And it's just like, cry as hard as you can for no reason. I can imagine that it is tough, but he nails it. Like that's such an affecting scene when it comes up in the show. Uh, I mean, and, and he's like, I think all, all like all the performance in David Lynch movies are good. I think he is a good director's actor for like what is exactly happening in his movies. Like, like it's sort of hard to judge talent based on David Lynch things because they're doing something so specific that it's like right. I don't know if Cheryl Lee could give like a great performance in a movie that is not like that. But I, I mean, I think so. She's a good actress, but it's right. sort of, it's sort of a weird thing to judge. Don't so we'll yeah. me, me think, Town. Yeah. Well, me, I I haven't, Me seen, I haven't seen Winter's Bone, but I saw she's in that. How is she in that? Uh, I mean, I don't it's remember been, her. Yeah, I don't remember okay. her specifically but, uh, in it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's like the big movie she's done. Yeah, but it's like Matthew Lillard, when I saw him in The Return, I was like, he should be in like 19 different movies doing these things. He's so good. Yeah. Oh, Why oh, aren't yeah. people mm-hmm. like casting? And I mean, I was talking like Scooby-Doo movies were important to my childhood. I watched Scream for the first time a couple of years ago, and I thought he maybe give one of the best performances. I see. It's so insane performance. So good. And he's just yeah. a good actor. And it's, yeah, and I mean, it 100% makes sense that he sort of, like, did Shaggy, and that's, like, all that he can could be seen as, because that's such, like... Mm-hmm. Iconic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, both iconic uh, and it's like one of those. It's like one of those performances where, where like, you see him like in, even in a still, and you're like, oh yeah, this guy's shaggy. Yeah, exactly. It's a crime that they get uh, Will Forte to play. Yeah, shaggy yeah. I think we can say the official position of Can I Kick It is fuck Scoob. Yeah, yeah sure, <laughs> Will never and have never movie. watched it, but uh, <laughs> seen it the twice. Um, what? Oh, Jesus. I mean, well, um, one of them I was watching along with the... Never mind. It's too... Yeah, we... Uh, ben, ben uh, me $10 and I'll tell you about why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> t-shirt and he'll tell you. Um, but yeah, the scene where he's in like the prison cell uh, when his wife comes back, which I guess is like the start of the second episode. Um, and he's like... It's similar to like how Cheryl Lee like, in... Firewalk with me is able to switch it so well, like the tone. He's like sad and like trying to like explain what's going on. And then she's like, Your fingerprint fingerprints are all over the place. Like, I know you've been cheating on me. And he's like instantly goes back at her. He's like, I know you've been cheating on me. And it's just like <laughs> he just gives it to her. It's like, holy shit, this is so intense. Yeah. Yeah, he, he nails kind of like that, like I hate using the term, but like the stereotypical like sad sack, like suburban, like you know, married yeah. man who hates his life and like, you know, he's just thrown into this extreme situation and then like within the drop of a hat he goes to like, you know, he said anger and then later on in the series it just turns into this like just blubbering mess. Oh, right. He's so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, it's great. In the episode that Jesse alluded to earlier, like that scene, he's just like a husk of a man, like in the back of this cop car before everything goes down. And it's like, Jesus, man. Because, like, it goes on, like, the, not mystery, but, like, the sort of police case goes on to, like, reveal, like, extramarital affairs, you know, and, like, how uh, he's, like, involved in this murder in a way, and he just, like, is uh, completely detached from reality at a certain point. Uh, But 
in a broader sense of the show, is there anything anyone wanted to like touch on as things that they liked? Uh, I mean, McLaughlin's good. Speaking to like yeah. the way that like Lynch directs actors, I think I, I I'm not gonna see the story exactly because I read it all and kind of remember, but I I do remember like McLaughlin telling you the story about how he learned that he and Lynch are like good like creative partners to work about it. And I think I don't remember if it was Dune or Blue Velvet. But like David Lynch is walking up to him in a scene and be like, I need you to be more blue, like the color blue. <laughs> and, then, and then he just like sat there and thought about it for a while and like, oh, blue, I can do that. And then he just nailed the That's next thing. And it's just like, they know how to work together. He gets the vibes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, we talked a little bit about like the humor, like in the original series compared to the humor in the return uh the scene of like the introduction to evil uh you know evil coop mr c whatever is so funny when he yeah. like the guy down, and then he's like s- sitting in the chair and puts the shotgun up into his face it's so funny yes yeah i mean it's like a magroove it's like a scene from like magroove it's like a exactly. <laughs> he's so like yeah badass and whatever yeah it's good yeah because yeah, the it's another example of what we were talking about earlier of this thing that like in almost any other TV show or movie, if this is how you choose to represent right. the evil version of a character, it feels like something from a cartoon where he's got a leather exactly. jacket, yeah. long yeah, black it, hair, it, and he's mad. Yeah, it's in MacGruber, but it's almost more like a David Wayne movie. It's almost like how, yeah. so how, <laughs> how Paul Rudd behaves in fucking like, yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. Picking up the like, forks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. The, um, also, like, uh, the intro intro to that scene is, like, this, you know, he loves his, like, night shots of a road speeding by. Right. Um, and it's, like, playing this slowed-down version Distorted of this indie version song. Of, uh, and it's just, like, <laughs> and then, you know, you get the intro yeah. of Evil Coop. What is the song? It's, uh, like, a pop song. I forget what it is. Yeah, it's, like... Fucking David Lynch holler at me as a person who's probably made, like, 20 of those sorts of beats on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. like Emilio Badalamenti coming up. It's it's American the, Woman, the David Lynch remix, is what it's oh, credited as yeah. in the credits. Which side note, but if it's, you've ever listened to a David Lynch album, it is a treat. Oh. He actually sings. I mean, hey, as long as you're plugging David Lynch side projects, uh, look up the recipe for David Lynch's quinoa. It's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's one, of the, <laughs> the, it's, one of, um, it's one of the better videos on the internet. The quinoa recipe, I'm gonna say. Yeah, I mean, Bon Appetit is shaking. Uh, <laughs> the all right. So, do we want to just get into our final thoughts on like these two episodes? Sure. Yeah, I, I guess we can go around then. Yeah, they're great stuff. It's incredible to watch the show. Yeah, I think yeah, it's like a really crazy show to watch. I think if you give into it, I do think like I think you have to be open. Like it is very much I think a TV show in that it is something where you're going to like like more stuff st- some stuff more than other stuff and like some stuff is going to click for you and some stuff is not going to as much. And so like you have to go into it with sort of that attitude I feel like. Um yes, but I think it's hours. yeah. Uh but I I do and and I do like I do think like it can be a little intimidating the way that everyone talks about it as like the only good TV show or whatever, right? And I don't think it's that, but I do think like it's so worth your time and it's so worth engaging with and dying diving into and like and just like swimming in sort of this like very singular thing that I'm really yeah. glad exists. Yeah, I mean, let's give my final thoughts and just like slightly dip my tone to the conversation. It's just like just to speak generally. It's like 
I think that sort of conversation that's sort of reacting to it is provoked by it being an incredibly unique thing. Right. I think it is exists in world of like certain worlds of film and exists in certain worlds of TV and it sort of it, it has a vibe like nothing else that airs on television and very few things that even are films. So I think that people struggle to have those conversations in a way that is appropriate to any medium because right. it sort of defies whatever medium you try to put it into. And I think that it's sort of the magic of the return, even as somebody who's not watched the entirety of it, is that it is such a singular piece of art in a way that is like in, in communication with all the things that David Lynch has made, but it all the obviously in other ways different to the other things that David Lynch has made. It is in conversation with other things Mark Frost has made and it the way it casts people, it uses people, and the way that it tells its story, even through just these two episodes, is very unique and interesting and like fascinating to think about. It's like one of my favorite it does one of it's like obviously doing one of my favorite things that art can do, which is like give you enough to respond to it emotionally and then whatever other thoughts about it you have to like sit there and think about it for a while about what it means just like plot wise and logistically and what that how then that translates to like sort of like political connotations and like thematic connotations and the other emotional connotations that you want to have above your initial reaction and i think i think there's a lot of doom saying about the state of the movie industry and the state of the tv industry and like the sort of like what the power of like film festivals are and like the way that art has somehow is like slowly become more corporate over the years but i think it is like sort of a shining beacon of sometimes the conflict sometimes things just come together and you get something that is more amazing than you could ever have experienced. And the way that the Cannes Film Festival figured into like mm -hmm. both the initial downslope of Lynch's like sort of career, even though like even after the, like it's after Firewalk With Me, just like Made Boss Highway, Made Street Story, Made Mulholland Drive relatively soon after. So it's not like he was in a, Deep, uh, on like a whole, but I certainly all of it contributed to like contributed to like the re not the reevaluation as much as like the appreciation of David Lynch's work and his value as an artist and the way in which Twin Peaks fits into that is I think a very unique narrative to track through like just like the history of the last like couple of decades of film and yeah. the couple of decades of the industry and just like how those things have shifted is my long way of saying I liked it and you should watch it. Oh yeah. Jeremy? Yeah, yeah. No <clears throat> just to speak to it like I gotta say I came to Twin Peaks kinda later in life. Like I said I didn't watch it till twenty fourteen and I just kinda I think it was actually the first David Lynch thing I ever experienced was Twin Peaks. And then I went on to watch four of his movies. So like, but it's come to become, it's like, I always tell people it's my favorite show. And sometimes they get pushback on that. Cause they're like, Oh, it's like, it's, I don't know. It, you, you, it's surprising how many people give me pushback on that. When I say Twin Peaks is my favorite show, they're like, Oh, 
that's your favorite show, but it's got like only like you know sixty percent of it's good. Like you know what, what's there to love about it? But like, oh, there's just there's just something about it. I think like how Andy touched in it, like the first two seasons, like the combination of like kind of the Americana like like soap opera sitcom and like the weird horror aspects of it and like the surrealism. But to speak to the return, going into the return, I was definitely even though he had Lynch had like talked about how it's not going to be like the original first two seasons. I went into it expecting just in my brain. Cause I, that's what I thought Twin Peaks was like expecting kind of more soap opery, like Americana small town stuff. And throughout the, watching the first two parts is the one long episode, the premiere of the premiere night. Like it was, it was nice to have my expectations. Like I hate using the word subverted cause it's becomes the connotation of it on the internet. It's so stupid nowadays, but like, it's like subverted in a way where I was like, Oh, of course David Lynch would evolve twin peaks into something like this. Of course it wouldn't just be more of like the soap opery, like, you know, drama stuff. And like just experiencing like that. And also like to what Emilio said, it's nice to have something exceed your expectations. Cause mm-hmm. like, something like this and it came out around the time which we're still kind of in during this huge wave of revivals of like you hear oh they want to bring friends back i don't even know if that's happening but they want to bring this back they want to bring that back right. so it feels like murphy brown back this fall on cbs like yeah <laughs> harry mason <laughs> so literally so easily could have just like fallen by the wayside and gotten lumped in with that especially like because who knows if showtime was going to exert their power and be like hey you know make this like the twin peaks that everyone gave high ratings in the nineties, but like just the fact yeah. that like it yeah, came they, out. They for sure could have just like backed out the break start to Kyle McLaughlin hired some like random person to just make it like a crime drama. that yeah, has some twin peaks Or even like, yeah, they could have gotten like Leslie Linka Gladder who like directed a bunch on the original series and like works on, worked on Homeland a bunch. Like, and she probably would have made like a pretty serviceable, like fun detective drama starring Kyle McLaughlin or whatever. But yeah, they they didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, but I just I, I definitely like I keep saying it's a miracle, but like I feel like I think these first two episodes, just in context, I mean, watching the like the night they premiered, they felt like a miracle, but also just in, in its entirety, the return truly feels like a miracle. Like I don't know mm-hmm. if we've seen or if we'll ever see something like this big and specific exist again. You know, like yeah. it's just just can't believe it happened. Well, in terms of something this big and specific existing, wait for my plug. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> do you have any final thoughts, Jesse? Do you want me to go ahead? I already said my final thoughts. Oh. I said it's good. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I agree. Uh, great podcasting. I do wanna, specifically, uh, Is this where the show is? Uh, the few things that we didn't touch on uh, in the episode that we, or, uh, you know, two parts that we watched that I really like uh, the camera around the box. Like it's just a great thing of seeing, you know, the guy yes. from indignation changing the SD cards. It's like, what yeah. is this? What is he doing? Yeah. And, then, and I guess also along those parts, the way that he films New York city in a way that New York city has somehow oh. never been filmed before is like incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I forgot about like the Patrick Fischler scene. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, like, he's in this. Like, of course he's in this. It's like so much stuff that like, uh-huh. cause like I didn't, I mean, you know, you don't binge it as it's airing, but like, those first i watched those first uh you know two clumps or first four parts on that same night like so it, it makes sense that like my memory of it isn't a hundred percent like you know four years later almost um but it was uh, or i guess three years almost um it was nice to be reminded and like like i was saying earlier like i do want to just 
go through it again because I was like, God, I'm just hooked mm-hmm. in. Like it ends with him and like uh, you know Jennifer Jason Lee, and like uh, uh, you get like a peek of um, you know Coop looking out over the highway, and I'm like, oh man, and there's like a little bit of like the Dougie Jones like uh, area that they show like I think uh, when they go to Vegas for a bit um, and I'm just like I, I need to get back to this and like I think in that the anniversary the like the three year anniversary of it airing and like episode eight specifically that people have been talking about it again on the internet and I'm just like god I gotta get back to this it's been so long and like I maybe in a similar way I mean I do love it as is but, like in a similar way to Firewalk with me maybe on a rewatch with some distance from the original series, it might even like, I, I would imagine my like reaction to it would be stronger. And I am mm-hmm. very excited to go through it. Amelia, I know you've only seen the first few episodes. I would say if you have time, not that our podcast ever allows for any, uh, you should finish it and would implore any listener who has not finished it oh, to totally. give it the run through. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I'll, I'll watch it soon, for sure. I will say the, the one uh, the one person that we didn't get to, uh, Jane Addams, rules in this. Oh, yeah, so good. Uh, all right, then. Uh, Jeremy, what would you what do you care to plug? Uh, well, uh, there's my podcast, The Not New Movie Review, which uh, we currently, our, our base, the basic theme of our podcast is we pick an actor and we uh, choose three of their most critically acclaimed films, three of their most critically reviled films, and a movie right in between, and discuss them to try to get a full spectrum of their career and like the reception as an actor. So uh, check that out. It's on uh, Audio Boom, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you can find a podcast. Great mm-hmm. premise for a pod- podcast. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. And you guys, you're doing Matthew Lillard soon, and you just wrapped up on uh, Vin Diesel? Yeah, we just were finishing up Vin Diesel, and uh, yeah, we're on to Matthew Lillard. And previously, we've done Dwayne Johnson, Will Smith, Charlie Theron, so yeah, it's been really fun so far. The Mount Rushmore. (laughs) (laughs) Greatest working actors. Some some real highs and lows, I guess, you can find in all those actors. Um, Before we end, uh, there is one uh, serious thing I want to say about the Cannes Film Festival. Sure. Do you ever Uh-oh. think that the uh, the reason that like some years there's more booing than others is that maybe uh, in, in those in between years they called in some ghost hunters? You know, maybe they. Jesus. Uh, I just <laughs> this is a genuine question, you know, because how so haunted much... the campfire vessels? Amelia's removed his headphones. He's leaving. I mean, we have <laughs> never brought up what aspects of the Cannes Festival are haunted by ghosties. So I guess it's important to talk about. There's a lot of booing. You know, uh, yeah. yeah. If, yeah if haunted it, by the ghost of Billy Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If anyone has any ghost stories from Cannes. I mean, sure. Hey, get in touch with Jeremy first and then us. All right. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, Can I Kick It? You can follow us on Letterboxd at CIKI Pod. Uh, you can follow me on either of those platforms at JP Glick Weber, Weber with two B's. And uh, yeah, speaking of like uh, great sort of cumulative uh epic pieces of art that came out in uh, 2017 uh, i'd like to plug the baker's dozen a run of 
13 shows at uh, Madison Square Garden in which uh, Fish played uh, the vast majority of their catalog, uh, not repeating a single song over the 13 shows. Uh, each each show, they, uh, they gave out a different flavor of donut, and that donut was the theme of the show. It's great. True, truly yeah. the Twin Peaks, the return of live concerts. Yes. I, I, I truly w- want to say that, like, I I stopped myself like three times from saying it was like that's it's gonna be some fucking fish album. <laughs> you, you have no idea how happy I am that we now have a theme song so Jesse can't play fish at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> yes. Only only when there are technical difficulties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, the, the you can uh, they've got a streaming service where you can listen to the soundboards, or they basically let people uh, distribute amateur tapes for free. Uh, they're not hard to find. Great. Um, yes, I'm Andy. That's my name. Uh, you can find me online at Andy T Germ. Uh, most places where you would care to find me. Uh, if you don't get enough of me, that is also. But if you want to Venmo me to hear why I've seen Scoob twice, <laughs> that is the handle. Um, and I don't think I have anything specific to plug this week. I'm Clatchley on all social media, C L A T C H L E Y, and I will plug the movie Mountains May Depart by Judd Junka. I watched it a few weeks ago. Uh, it's really great. If no one's, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Obviously. It's a movie about, uh, you know, we talked about Ashes Purest White and how that covers different time periods. This does the same thing, but each different time period in this woman's life is represented by an aspect ratio change, which is something I'm a fan of stylistically. And also there's like the credit drop for the title of the movie is like 40 minutes in. It rolls so hard. I love it so much. Mountains made it apart. Everybody watch it. Emilio, go ahead. You can follow me on Twitter at I'm Laugh Alone. You can follow me on Letterboxd at I Laugh Alone. Thanks to Tree Related for the theme song. Yeah, thanks to Tree Related for the theme song. You can find them at soundcloud.com slash tree related or tree related on Spotify. He made a good theme song. You should listen to his other music. Shout out my win. Shout out to my win. Shout out uh, to ne- next, yeah. Next week, should we preview what we're doing next week? Next- what are we? Next what are we week, doing next week? Is, next week is our is our visit. We're returning. We're returning to this same Cannes it's, Film it's, Festival. It's, yeah, it's appropriate. Twin Peaks, the return premiered uh, the yeah. 2017 Cannes Film Festival, which be, beyond being the the Cannes of Twin Peaks was also uh, the Cannes of Nicole Kidman, and so we will be discussing the four Nicole Kidman projects that uh, premiered at that festival, which are, of course, uh, In Competition, uh, The Beguiled, and The Killing of Sacred Deer, and then Out of Competition, uh, uh, How to Talk to Girls at Parties, and Top of the Lake Season 2. Yeah, excited. Special about guest that on that one as well. Put that, yes. Mm-hmm. No, uh, yes, we're not fun. gonna we're not gonna name it mysterious. Tease. No, mysterious <laughs> tease. Um, Let's just the, say she the, might have had experience at the festival, and no one will McCall us on our bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, please I'm just kid Manning. <laughs> Jesse, please leave. I'm releasing our audience. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye.
Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bam. You we fucking went. We fucking went for two hours. Yeah, we went two hours on this one. Oops. I mean, hey, we did it. it is- I mean, I think down. we're gonna do a short one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks for sticking with us for that runtime, Jeremy. <laughs> I was wondering, I was like, I don't know if he has a hard out or not, so I don't know how quickly we should be like wrapping this up. If you saw me reach over when I made the great ghost joke, it's because my computer was on 1%. So. <laughs> Jesus. That would have been. Almost made your computer a ghost. No. I mean, I was going to say that while we were recording, 